Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you. Welcome home. Hi, genre junkies. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. Welcome to a very extra special, fun, uh, very, very exciting episode of Genre Junkies tonight, especially for our horror peeps. This one meant a lot to you and to me, and I think will mean a lot to everyone. (laughs) So um, we are absolutely astounded overjoyed and thankful to have gotten the chance to sit down and chat with Josh Mallerman. The Josh Mallerman. No, you heard that right. Josh Mallerman, the author of um, many, many fantastic works uh, that we love here at Genre Junkies, including Unbury Carol and Bird Box, both of which have been covered on this program. <laughs> and tonight's book, Goblin, which is actually um, six novelettes with a prologue and an epilogue. So I got to talk to Josh Mallerman. Scott, unfortunately, I couldn't didn't. be there. I wasn't he part was, of the interview. He was COVID ill <laughs> with the with the shot. Scott and I are both fully vaccinated, which is an awesome, awesome, awesome place to be <laughs> in this day and age. It sure is. Go get your vaccines, kiddos. Go get your your vaccines, genre junkies. Keep keep the bookworms united and healthy and strong. But if I do say so, your myself or yourself, yeah. If I say f- sure, I I don't know if that actually that turn of phrase is appropriate for this. But uh, <laughs> what are you trying to say? You did a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. Talking to Josh Mallerman was like talking to an old friend, just like one of my my bestest horror buddies, like so many of my friends from Spooky Summer Party and Cult Show. It's just like the same, just chilling and talking. And, you know, it's it's so nice to have people like that that are bookworms, that are true horror fans, and that have a love for the horror genre, uh, both in books and in film. So... Is really, really an honor to get to talk to him. I'm sorry you couldn't be there, though. You were there in spirit. We talked about you a little bit. Oh, yeah. And we, and you know, you, there you got some questions in that I was curious about, too. So, <laughs> and I, it's fun to listen to it as kind of a, as, as a bystander for the yeah, first time. Yeah, you show. got to hear it for like the first time. So, um, I wanted to ask you if you had anything fun and exciting to share with the friends at home. Uh, actually, yes. Uh, we just started watching, we're about two episodes episodes in his dark materials yes the tv show which um as you listeners may know was a big impactful book for myself and me and uh i so far two episodes in i'm pretty happy with what they've done with it I'm very happy to. I think that there's a lot of love and a lot of care that I've seen so far going into building these worlds. Um, I I don't know <laughs> of anybody who is really happy with that film that we shall not speak of that they kind of did. Mm, and it just wasn't it wasn't the vibe wasn't the vibe. Right. <laughs> but it's starting to um really turn around with the TV show. And I'm just really happy with that. Very happy with the diversity in the TV show as well. Um, There was at one point when I turned to Scott and I was like, 
this is how you take characters that were white and make them not white. And it's just, you just do it. Yeah. Like you just do it. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's really not <laughs> it's that hard. It's really not that hard. And it benefits everybody. So uh, that's good. So something else that I did this week is I spent a lot, a lot of time researching movies that were coming out, specifically uh, genre movies for sci-fi and fantasy for Spooky Slumber Party and watching trailers and reading little, you know, blurbs and sneak peeky things. And there is a long list of movies that we are excited about. And I don't want to like spoil too much i don't want to say too much but maybe should i give a little genre junkies hint a little sneak peek yeah my most anticipated movie and it's actually all three of us scowls over there our most anticipated movie is a 24th the green knight um and that's relevant to us genre junkies because hello that's literary um, literary fantasy yes of course based from the arthurian lore um a24 is the best movie <laughs> studio in the whole wide world and um they just made this beautiful dark fantasy looking thing that i think a lot of our listeners are going to be pleased with i'm not overly fond of most arthurian adaptions into film and i feel like somebody finally freaking got it right it feels hella pagan it feels just it just feels wild so I'm really excited for it. And we don't have too long. It comes out this summer. so It looks very good. So without further ado. Oh, also, wait a minute. But w- one more ado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you happen to. After one more ado. If you happen to listen or watch The Cult Show, it is my pick this week. And I chose the Guillermo del Toro masterpiece, The Devil's Backbone. And... um. If you love horror and you love historical horror, I'm sure you've seen this or you love Spanish cinema. So get on it. You know, the cult show, you guys did really good work when we were all at home, but it is really fun to have you all back in the studio. Cult show rides again. (laughs) Okay. Now with all of the ado aside. No more ados? You sure? Much ado about nothing? Two or more ados? Just no more. Okay. (laughs) No, no boss. (laughs) Um, let's talk about tonight's feature, tonight's creature feature, <laughs> Goblin from Josh Mallerman. So this is uh, a a story told in six novelettes with sort of a wraparound prologue and epilogue, which I love that style, about the city of Goblin and the denizens therein and how creepy and weird (laughs) this place is. Um, And we learn all about the history of Goblin and what goes on there. And every tale is different. Every tale is distinctly Josh Mallerman. Um, I guess I'll say right off the bat, maybe this will come as no surprise, but I found this um, an absolute obsession. Obsession. My experience with the book is page turner. I I loved every moment of it and couldn't put it down. But the city of Goblin yeah. is an obsession. Um, yes, we just closed escrow on a studio in Goblin for uh, <laughs> for genre junkies um, enterprises. Um, I think that the structure of this book is so it, 
it, it is unique to me. It, it's, you know, it's not a short story collection. No. Because everything is very thematic and tied together. But it's not a novel either. It It's kind of like what you love about you know, even things with Stephen King, where every all of his books intertwine together and take right. place in this this mass universe, mm-hmm. but it's all presented to you in like one package. Right, it's like you just get to keep going back and keep going back. It's almost like uh, it's almost like six sequels. Yeah, put together. There's um, there's a lot. This book is very deep. It's kind of Inception like, where there's just like layer upon layer upon layer. Like every story has like a story within a story. Um, it is, it's very rich. You could easily, easily do more in this city. And maybe I'll just ask Josh Mallerman about that. Hmm, maybe it'll come up. But um, I could very much see this. As, well, it's, it's a wonderful book, but I could see this 100% as TV show, as anthology. Yes. Um, just because in Goblin, anything kind of goes. And the people there are really proud <laughs> of right, their right? city. And um, there's something enduring about a Gobliner. It, I, I mean... Really, you have to be a special sort to actually live and reside in Goblin. But I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of think of, you know, the people of Roswell. You know, they mm-hmm. proudly wear their, their, you know, Aliens. alien antenna yeah. and, and you know, walk around like they're proud of their, their they embrace weird. it. Weird, yeah. But uh, this is a particular town that is more than just. Uh, weird from stories it's weird from weird yeah and some things are not like fully explained why they're so creepy like of course one of my favorite things is they bury people standing up and, and they the don't coffins explain have, like, why the coffins have like a, a lid like a little roof <laughs> it, it reminds me of like an old school like tin band-aid box or something it's like that's creepy as f- and just talking about burying the dead standing up. And it's like, but why did they do that? And of course, Goblin reigns more than anywhere in the entire world. Goblin's always crying. Yeah. yeah. I actually, is that from the book or is that? There's some things in there about tears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the neat things, you know, we were just talking about the, the you know, people being buried stand- standing up there's there's so many references starting from the very first story to you know weird ideas weird history that you know a lot of them stay a mystery yeah but a lot of them pay off there it's like you'll hear them reference uh a, a person yeah or a place and then two stories later it will take place in that place that they're referenced, right? Or it will revolve around this person. It, that it's it. It seems like it just is constantly paying off. Yes, um, and I I think that's where we come to this concept of six novelettes as opposed to short stories. And that's not to say that short stories can't be tied together obviously or have you know like their their things that connects them thematically but um these are truly little novels that all interlace to make one big novel yeah um 
And all of them are a little bit different. All of them kind of have these cool thematic kind of bigger concept things going on, but they're also just really fun and they're all very different from each other. And they each read a little bit like a like a dime store horror novel. Well too. pulpy, yeah, yeah. In the best way. And I cannot I, I cannot <laughs> stress enough how impressive it is for authors like Josh that are so talented that they squeeze so much into these stories and it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like oh this author is just like burdening me with too much information but it's like it, it it's like i don't know it's like he just finds room and space to shove more in and it's so so impressive to me something i'll point out to uh listeners who are thinking about this book is what's also unique about having uh, a book of novelettes by one author is that there is a uh there is a strong voice that is carried through all of the stories very distinctly him right and and yeah. it is very distinctly him if you have ever read Josh Mallerman before you're going to enjoy this yes and um you know i we i said previously that it re well you you use the word pulpy and i agree with yeah. that but you know sometimes when you get a uh, even a novelette collection by one author you get kind of a different feeling you get kind of a different type of story yeah. in each one these really do fit together in a cohesive package uh, with one voice um i'm going to take um a stance on this, and I'm going to actually recommend this broadly to people. I know that it's horror, and it's definitely horror. Josh is a wonderful horror fan that writes for horror fans, which we love. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's some really fun kind of things in here that people will like the weirdness, the strangeness, the psychological stuff, the kind of. Um, I don't know. It's this just wacky city. And I think that um, Mr. Mallerman has experienced some crossover success, especially after Bird Box. And that's kind of opened him up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and he's he does more than just horror straight up. Like, it, it, he we talk about this too in the interview he dips a toe in a lot of different little subgenres throughout this collection and i mean like i said it's definitely you know something horror fans are going to love but i think that he deserves the broader audience and i think that he could have it i have to agree 100% i think that this I think that he has a way of writing that is energizing, exciting, while being creepy and deep. Yeah. And I think that it does appeal to a broad audience. Yeah. If you enjoy reading, if you enjoy books, you're you're pretty much going to enjoy this. He has this really cool thing that I like um, where he'll kind of like he's gosh i don't know quite how to word this it makes sense in my head but i'm trying to say it he phrases things very simply very succinctly but also very creepily like there'll be a sentence that you're like wait what you know you kind of like almost do a double take well like with the dead being buried standing up yeah like the first time it's like like a throwaway line it's just very tossed yeah. to the side you know, yeah. things like that where you're like huh 
I'm sorry, did you what? Can you rewind just a second there? Yeah, and that kind of um, making things very matter-of-fact is creepy. Like, it's it's got a wonderful, creepy weight that it carries. It kind of creates an environment where, oh, if that's something that's just kind of blasé and thrown off to the side, what is the actual creepy thing that's going to happen here? Um, I will say we're going to talk about it, but a man in slices is a really good example of that, <laughs> which is one of the novelettes. Um, so I we're going to talk more in the spoiler section about each uh, each novelette. But if you know me, if you know me, guys, you will know immediately that there are two stories in here that just scream Sandra. And I think that you will know that there is one that screams me. <laughs> Well, this is really exciting. Um, so I'm proud to say that we somehow managed to keep this interview spoiler free. Um, so there's uh, no need to have to worry about missing a beat. So we're going to go ahead and do that spoiler free interview. Then we're going to come back and Scott and I are going to just talk about all the fun and hijinks that one can have uh, on one spring break in Goblin City Fair uh, without any more adieu please welcome to the show the incomparable the amazing the creepy and delightful josh mallerman hey bookworm buddy don't forget subscribe rate and review and while you're at it find us on instagram at genre junkies so hi josh mallerman welcome to genre junkies Hello, I am a genre. I am a genre genre junkie. I can barely even say the sentence. I'm such a junkie, and <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> yes, perfect. We're so happy to have you here. We're longtime fans, so this is an honor for us. So, um, my first question is: Could you play tour guide and introduce us to the city of Goblin? Yeah, sure. Um, it rains a lot in Goblin, and most the citizenry of goblin are are each obsessed with something and Mm -hmm. in the course of the book goblin um you as a reader will get to meet about six of these gobliners who who their obsessions come to a head all on about the same you know the same night in the city of goblin i kind of want to live there but i don't know if it would be good for my health but i still am looking at property in goblin Oh, oh my god i love that phrase you know i think they're there's almost like a Stockholm syndrome about gobliners that I that I discovered in the rewrite. I'm like, there's a part of me that says, why doesn't camp just move away? And then I'm like, I think he likes being haunted by this city. And and, and when that kind of sank in with me, I was like, ah, now I now I'm beginning to understand these characters. Right. So you mentioned it's a rewrite. So this um is uh, tell us the story of how Goblin came to be. Well. You know, when I first started like uh, writing books and I was writing them, I write, I was writing them at a rapid clip and I still do now. But back then I was just discovering that. And Goblin was like the second book I wrote. And I, you know, the number grew to like nine, 10, something like that. And I had been posting online. Well, I wrote another book today, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) I didn't have any know-how with agents or, or queries, nothing like this at all. And a friend of mine from high school contacted me and he said that, you know, he knew a guy that represented authors 
would I mind if he sent one of my books to this guy? So I insanely, I had Bird Box on me at the time, but insanely I thought, well, I guess I'll send Goblin because if this guy doesn't like the first story, maybe he'll like the second. And, you know, <laughs> like I honestly looked at it like I was increasing my chances by six by sending Goblin. So Love it. The guy ended up liking it and then this led to a manager and uh, with the manager, I rewrote Bird Box. But the point is, so Goblin has played a major part in my, I guess, in my career. And a limited edition of Goblin came out a few years ago. And that was because the brilliant Christopher Golden, the writer, called me. Yes. Love, I, man, do I love that guy. And he called yeah. me. He was like, listen, I hear you got a lot of books. And one way that you can get books out there is through limited editions. He introduced me to Paul Miller at Earthling. I sent Paul Goblin and Goblin came out of limited that way. And Del Rey now is going wide with it. So it's been a bit of a zigzag, but no matter how you slice it, Goblin has played a very like warm place in my career so far. Oh, that's really, really sweet. So it's kind of like Goblin's getting um, a little bit of a homecoming and, and a nice warm welcome from from all the fans. That's honestly what it feels like. It feels like it's getting like this like homecoming and like I see it on the shelf next to Mallory and I'm like, Goblin. I'm like glad to see him there, you know? <laughs> Goblin, how the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're a musician for those who don't know. So uh, do you listen to music while you write or how does music influence your writing? Yeah, I have a... I have a pretty awesome um, collection of horror soundtracks on vinyl and I have a record player in my office and I'll just play, you know, I'll play the boogeyman troll creep show, um, uh, the beyond uh, and uh, the, um, Oh, the thing. I mean, just so, so many great ones. And especially when you hear it on vinyl and a few of them are the original, like the thing and the shining and the beyond. So like, you actually hear that record old school sound. And it's like, you know, for a long time, I was afraid of writing to songs with lyrics just just for being distracted, right? If you're, if someone's mm. singing like, I love you, I love you. I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how scary I can make this, you know? <laughs> but just recently, I was like, man, you've been saying that for like 15 years now. That Why don't you just try it? So I, I think I'm going to try it soon. <laughs> oh, the superstition might be broken. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you do you have stuff like that where, like, where, like, yeah. you're, you're like, oh, I, I could never, and then you're like, why do I always say that? Just try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did I make that rule for myself? Yes, yeah. And I know you writers sometimes have a lot of rules like that. Do you have like a magic keyboard or a special spot you sit in? Oh, there are things. Um, believe rituals are things. Yes, and it's not quite like you know plucking the feathers from a chicken, but there are <laughs> things like the books have to be lined up a certain way on the desk. The computer has to be angled in ex- exactly a certain way. Um, if you write, if I write a scene that I feel particularly happy about, I need to wink at the rough draft. I'm not kidding. <laughs> wink at it when I send myself the day's work. I have to write myself a message too, like "Good job, Josh." I can't. Oh. Just- email it to myself. It's all these things where if I don't, oh, four exclamation points in a in an email to myself, three is not allowed, stuff like that. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like if I don't do that, then everything is going to fall apart. <laughs> this is it. This is the end. <laughs> yeah. You've ruined it. Oh, that's too funny. I like that you write yourself a little nice something too. You know, it's good for you. 
Yeah, sometimes though, sometimes you'd be like, hey, uh, maybe we'll try this again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the implied idiot. <laughs> exactly. What was the first story you remember writing? Oh, I remember it for sure. So it was about um, this photographer who was obsessed with this model. She just had a certain look. I was really young when I wrote this. She had a a certain look in her eye, and he couldn't place it. And he would would take photos of her, and everyone was like, what is that look in her eye? And then he sneaks into her dressing room, and she's at the vanity, and she she removes not one, but two glass eyes. No! No! And it turns out the look, you know, know, that that was my first stab at at anything. At anything. And I remember I remember thinking when I wrote that, like, this is the greatest story ever written. I was like <laughs> at like 11 or 12 or whatever it was. I was like, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> yes. What a twist. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's something in there. I feel like that's a good story. Like, that's a good uh, bones there. Right. I, that's, you know what? I Bizarrely enough, I never really felt that way until I just told you that. And then now... <laughs> When I just said it, I'm like making fun of myself. And I'm like, actually, that kind of sounds reasonable. Is there something good? There's like, there's something in there. There's something in there. That's okay. You can just thank me in the foreword of your book. That's fine. (laughs) Okay. Actually, kind of speaking of that, um, what's an underappreciated horror subgenre or trope that you want to explore or you want to see more of? Wow. Well, I, you know, I would love to revisit. I, I don't know how unappreciated it is, but um, I would love to revisit the horror western. I, I feel like with with Unburied Carol, I I I gave it my all, but it was also intentionally almost borderline fantasy or weird. But I would love just like a straight ice cold horror western. I would love to try something like that for sure. But there's a lot of things like. Goblin doesn't quite qualify as this, but I love the idea. Well, I guess it does. I love like anthology horror movies. Yeah. And I would love to put out a number of like books like that, that have that same, where it doesn't, like, let's not present it as a collection of short stories. Let's not collect. It's like vignettes, like in those movies. And I would love to, you know, I feel like you would need to almost put out like four or five of them in a similar sense to sort of establish what, what we're to establish that this is an anthology horror movie in a book rather than a collection of short stories, if that makes sense. Okay. okay. It's kind of an event. It's more of an event. Right. It's more of an event. And I, I just, I love those movies cause it's like, you can get the full range of, of the genre or a full range in one movie. And look, if one of the segments are a lemon, who gives a, the care? The other two, yeah. the other two surrounding it will help it. And it just, there's something real liberating about that that setup for me. Oh, and you can swear here. You're allowed to. I swear a lot. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I swear too much and Scott starts bleeping me. <laughs> for the kids, for the kids at home. Um, I love that you mentioned Unburied Carol because we've reviewed that on the show and that's one of my favorite of yours. Um, I love a horror Western. There's just not enough of it out there, man. I can't get enough of it. I know because the setting itself is is, is just naturally like, unsettling like yeah any any western story and so then you could argue well then what do you need the horror element for or you could argue that a movie like unforgiven is a horror movie but Mm. but to me it's like if you already kind of like goblin if you already have the city established then like Mm. think of the wonders that could happen within and the same thing with the western established and I don't necessarily mean like just straight up like vampires in the old west but like a horror story more like more like um like a, 
what is that in town? Like, what is that thing in town? Like, who? Not not who is this new person, but what is this new person in town? That kind of vibe, right? And it's kind of like the people of that place and the resources they have. You know, it, it changes up the game for a lot of us kind of jaded old horror fans like me. You know, when it's like I've seen it, I've done it all. Yeah, and then also it it, it gives you like like um what do you call this kind of what you're saying like the lack of reason like no cell phones no fast cars no this or that you are stuck also they might not they might not just understand what's in town it might like oh maybe this is what people are like in uh michigan territory you know what i mean (laughs) no this is an alien an alien has come to has come to your little western conclave and there's something like there's something like cool about that i mean it's just it's just I mean, you probably feel the same way right now. It's like, it's literally tailor-made to write a horror story. Yeah. And um, one of the things I really loved about Goblin is it's um, six novellas in one novel. Um, but every story has like stories within stories. It's a really rich history of this little city. Um, so this is something that I, thank you for saying that. This is something that I didn't really recognize until um, like the first rewrite, you know, way back when. Mm-hmm. Where, the world building occurs in pieces in the first three novellas. So in the wraparound story, you literally enter the town in a truck in the first story with Charles and Richard, you are introduced. Hey, they're like walking around town. There's the Woodruff. There's the milk. There's the, right. The third story or the second novella, I guess you get the history of goblin from Walter camp. The fourth story, you get the history of the owls, which is goblins, great treasure. And I realized that by the time you get to Presto, the magic story, now the world has been built. It's not, it's never done being built, but now we know Goblin and now the other stories that follow um, the, 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 the latter three, there isn't that world building anymore in the same way that there is in those first three. And that, I didn't realize that until the rewrite, and I'm like, this is interesting. If I ever do a return to Goblin, which I really kind of want to do, <gasps> I would keep that same, same kind of thing in mind. I love that. And Return to Goblins already kind of a great title. I, I think, think so too. The only problem is I picture like a Return to Goblin. I picture like Walter Camp with his hair blowing and he's like hugging a palm tree. Oh my God. It's like very early 90s made for TV movie when you put it that way. Yeah. It's like Return to the Blue Lagoon, except it's like Walter and Neil Nash and like the muck together. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And everybody's like, wait, were these the same people from the original? Did they recast them? Yes. So my sister and sometimes co-host of this show, Amanda, she's she's not like me. Because like of the show, I'm the horror person. Like that's my thing. That's what I do. It's where I live, um, 365. And she did read Bird Box. And she would like to um, let you know she still has nightmares many years later but that's kind of like the best praise a horror author can get right i mean i was just you took the words right out of my mouth yes that (laughs) please thank you please do never never stop having nightmares and if you do stop maybe we can start like throwing sticks at your window at night like please (laughs) it's going as long as we can (laughs) <laughs> and of and of the very limited amount of horror she's read, she really loved that one too. And and I think it it reached a lot of audiences, in my opinion, because it kind of gets into some some speculative stuff, some sci-fi stuff. Like it's it's more than just horror. And I think that's true for a lot of your stuff. Well, Bird Box was as as you know, it's the first book of mine that came out, and it's also the first time 
that that I ran into any sort of discussion like this, right, with mm-hmm. my agent where she was like, you know, this is more of a thriller to me. I'm like, really? Th- this one? And But, like, because I just was blindly assuming I was writing uh, horror novels. Everything was, this is a scary story. This is, even on Mary Carroll, you got rot and smoke and, and in Goblin, you got uh, Camp's ghost and the Goblin police. Yeah. But he, she was the first to sort of delineate a little and, and you explain to me the thriller and you're saying sci-fi speculative elements. And I was like, oh, I see. Right. Right, right. Yeah, that's really, that's interesting how different audiences, I think, can kind of parse stuff out. That's one of the things like we kind of do with our show is reminding people like, hey, it's fun to read. You know, you don't have to, everything doesn't have to be, you know, um, a literary novel. You know, there's enjoyment out there for everybody and trying to find people their book. It's kind of, we're kind of like book matchmakers. Oh, that's cool. You know, I I had a weird, uh, moment where I was on Lake Michigan not that long ago with Allison. Allison is my fiance and we were on Lake Michigan and I was reading Richard Lehman, like the bloodiest book. And then I realized like, when did my beach read become Richard Lehman? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that how deep I am into this genre where I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to read some like slaughtering of teens while we're, yeah. like, while the waves like lap our toes, honey. Like what? I totally, I totally relate. It's weird. And the stuff I Google, the rabbit holes I go down on my quote unquote fun, relaxing time, you know, they're like weird cults and sacrifices. And yeah, yeah. but um, we're, we are actually a very smart and sensitive bunch, us horror people. We, we truly are. We're just a little odd. That's okay. Yeah. Super warm, super warm bunch. Like, I, you know, and I hear that from my editor, um, I hear that from Kristen, my agent, that they'll say, like, the horror scene is is maybe the nicest scene. And I'm like, that's because, like, this shit out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're like, yes. we're, like not, we're not hiding this shit. We, like, work it out in our writing and our yes. reading. And, like, we're, we're not afraid to be afraid. And we all, like, kind of, like, sometimes I even, exp- like, sometimes I'll experience fear like it's a drug. And that has helped me sometimes if I ever get, like, anxious, right? Like, I understand there's debilitating anxiety, but there also are scenarios where I'm like, just, just feel it, just ride it, just ride it. And I got that from horror. And, and I'm, like, yes. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm not trying to sound so lofty about it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that I agree that it's a really warm, like an extremely intelligent, warm scene. Yeah, I will, I'm so glad you've had that experience. Uh, definitely been mine too. So kind of speaking of that, I, I was hoping you could tell us about Spin a Black Yarn, which is a great name, by the way. Thank you. That So it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's the name. Uh, okay, it's the name of a, a book, like a collection of uh, novellas, actually, of mine that I'm rewriting right now. Ah! It, and that's where... My manager, Ryan Lewis, and I got the name for our production company, Spin a Black Yarn, which is why I imagine you're bringing it up. So, yeah, Ryan, my manager, we've been together for 13 years now. Um, Oh, my gosh. You know, like I said, I met him through Goblin. And and here we are, 13, you know, he's the one that got Bird Box option to film. I mean, he's done everything. And and he, at some point after Bird Box came out, Ryan was like, because he was a producer on it, but I wasn't. And he was like, for now on, like, it's fine that we had no leverage or anything in Bird Box. We didn't expect to. But for now on, let's be producers on everything. And to do so, let's start our own production company. And that's began there. And so essentially what it's become is about half the projects are books or stories of mine. And half the projects are 
uh, other horror authors. So th- during the pandemic, um, at like what felt like the peak of it, um, we produced our first movie. It was filmed in October. Um, it's based on a book by Max Booth. He wrote the script for it, and Sean O'Grady directed it. This was all filmed and done, no joke, like three miles from where I'm sitting right now. There's a sound stage. Wow. Wow. I wasn't allowed on set, though, because of the COVID stuff. Like, I, I was outside the set. I was at the uh, after. Like, we went out. To, we all got tested and went to dinner when it was wrapped. But it was like super careful stuff. Like nobody was allowed in the filming area except for like, you know, the actors and and the cameras. Right. And but we did it. That's the first uh, movie that we've produced. And it got into the Tribeca Film Festival. And we're all going out there in in, uh, June to go see it in New York. Hell yes. That's so exciting. Congratulations. All right. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 like new to me. It's new to Ryan, too. But Ryan is way more um, business savvy than I am. Mm. And I'm obviously way more far out, creative, weirdo than he is. But where we really see eye to eye is this, where we really, really, really see eye to eye is this sense of momentum that like say yes to as many things as we can in meetings and conversations and whatever it is, but also just sort of this like never burn any bridges, never close any doors. Even if you had a weird, I had a weird moment. I don't have to go into details with, but I'll just tell you real fast. I had a weird moment with like a publisher once, a smaller publisher where he like just said a bunch of weird stuff on me. Okay. And I literally could have posted online about it or, or written him off or whatever. But something like crossed my mind where I was like, I don't, you know, I don't, what am I going to hold a grudge? And now this guy and I, we've, we've done like three books together. Oh, nice. But it's that kind of thing. It's like, who cares if he talked smack about me once? Like, Ryan and I are very, like, aware, like, let's not close. And, I mean, if look, if you end up crossing paths with, like, a total jerk or something, yeah, go ahead. But, yeah, right. <laughs> but we're just very aware of keeping an open mind, enthusiasm, momentum, and so far it's been going well. Oh, that's so cool. That's like, um, sounds like you guys have like a really good partnership then. And I'm really excited to see this. I hope I get to see this film. So it's like, you could get like one of the virtual tickets for the, uh, it's playing in, if you go to my Twitter feed, you'll see, I was like, oh, tickets for, we need to do something are available now. And because it's playing online the same time we see it live in New York. Perfect. That's super cool. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, I was actually going to ask you, you've kind of named some names a little bit, but some of your favorite horror books or authors to share with our listeners. Oh, man. You know, I mean, this is a long list, right? But the, one, <laughs> I, the, the two um, that really come to mind lately are, you know, do you know Dathan Auerbach? Do you know Pen Pal? Yes, I do. I've read that. Oh, my God. That book. Talk about like sometimes I wonder. So I read that book and I wondered, like, did this guy, was he aware of the eeriness that he was capturing? And then I read his book, Bad Man. And I'm like, yes, he was aware. Holy cow. (laughs) This guy knows what the hell he's doing. He is phenomenal. I love the guy, Andrew Michael Hurley. Um, He wrote The Loney. And that's a classic example of where some people will say it's a slow burn, but like, it's not to me. Like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not bored by like slow burn horror. Like I'm still, I'm aware that the horror is a main character and hasn't entered yet. So I'm on like pins and needles the whole time. Ah! We start fast or slow. And 
you know, I've been reading John Langan recently, John Taff. Um, man, I, oh, I read a great Anya Allborn book, a great one. Um, Dark Across the Bay is, it's great. I did, I wrote the intro. Love her. Philip Fricassi, I read something recently by. Um, Ronald Mulphy's uh, Come With Me is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been reading Brian Keene, who's, I mean, one of the best of all time. A god. <clears throat> yeah, he really is. It, I'm like, he's really, I was thinking about him earlier today when I was like, actually, while I was just making coffee, I was just thinking about Brian Keene. And I was like, this dude has been at writing at this level for a long time now. And he's not like he's so much older than I am or something, but he's been writing at a, at a holy shit level for a long time. And not only that, like actively involved in the genre, actively involved in uh, uh, conferences, events. And I'm like, you know, he's something to aspire to. Oh, totally. Oh my gosh. Those are some, some really, really great recommendations. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Anya Alborn's really cool. Been a fan of hers for a long time. Malfi, so many good ones. She gets dark. She gets darker than I. Well, <laughs> been about here, she gets pretty dark. But she, but Anya Allborn, man, yeah, she gets dark. I appreciate you mentioned a slow burn horror too. Cause I I love a slow burn. I'm the same way. Yeah, because you'll see. Sometimes I'll see like a review or something that says, "Oh, it's a slow burn," and I'm like, uh, "Where do, where can I order this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like mm, you said you said the magic words. Yeah. How about horror movies? What's some of your favorites? Well, in in recent ones, one that just blew my lid is called Scare Me. You see that one? Oh, not yet. Okay. The reason I love that movie is because it completely breaks the whole rule of um, show, don't tell. It's Mm. literally two people in a cabin telling each other scary stories. And and it doesn't cut away to those stories. And Mm -hmm. it's absolutely, meaning they're just telling them. And it's absolutely enthralling, energized, intelligent, funny, scary that one blew my lid in terms of new ones. I also loved After Midnight. That's a new one I loved. Yeah. God, I love that one. I mean, there's a lot of good like we're in like we're we're in a moment right now. Some people will say that horror is always in a moment, and I suppose it is, but mm. it seems like a real sweet spot right now. And um there's a few that I want to see that I haven't seen on uh that I just was reading about. Um Barbara Crampton's new one is great, Jacob's wife. I've heard good things. She's unbelievable. I mean, she's, she's the best. Yeah, no, but she really, right? She really is. And then yeah. I would love, oh my God, I would love to make a movie with her somehow. I don't ah! know what that would be yet or something, but you'd almost want to just build something around her, you know? I mean, she's- Yeah, real, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's cool. She's she's like a real legend in the genre now. now yeah, she now. is, yeah. Well, so it sounds like you were pre- pretty busy during uh, the height of lockdown and the pandemic. But um, I like to ask authors, you know, did that really weird time we are still going through, does that influence or kind of in a weird way inspire some of your work as a writer? You know, OK, at the at the beginning, I was of a mind of like, man, there's no way in hell that I would want to like read a pandemic story right now. Right. Right. Meanwhile, Mallory came out during the pandemic. So, you know, oh, my God, I was worried about that because who would want to <laughs> read this, right? But then I had agreed to blurb um, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers. So Ooh. in the middle of the pandemic, I'm op- I'm cracking open like an 800-page pandemic story that really, really mirrors a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I discovered, like, I was, like, comforted by it. and And here's why. I felt that, like, like there was, because it was so similar to what was going on, it said to me that we as people 
are able to predict and imagine this, what's actually happening outside. And if we are able to predict and imagine, then we will also be able to solve it. Meaning that like, you know, what's happening, it's not like there's an alien invasion outside and we don't know what to do, right? right. And so that, that, it turned out to be in some strange way, this comforting read for me, where I was like watching these people deal with and solve a pandemic. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this is, uh, this took it, this took me by surprise. So yeah. is it influencing my writing? I uh, know. I think I'm, I don't, I can't imagine intentionally sitting down to write like, uh, close quarters, you know, I'm going to write a, a story that takes place in one room because we're in a pandemic or something like that. You know? <laughs> right. Didn't affect you that way. Yeah. Right. But did discover some things about pandemic fiction that I did not expect to discover. Oh, wow. It's kind of cool. Yeah, there was um, one of the only good things to come out of this is um, a little bit of a sense of community in some ways and not feeling so alone, even when isolated. So interesting, interesting. No, but you're, yeah, you're, people. You're, you are so right about that, because how many times were you super freaked out about the election? You're super freaked out about the pandemic. You're super freaked out about. And then you you would almost just say to yourself, hey, you're not alone with this. And you're like, yes. oh, yes. Right, right. I'm not because there would be like this almost like a mind trick where you like felt like you were the only one experiencing this. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, this isn't, you know, last man on earth. Right. Thing. <laughs> yeah. right. Like, no, this is everyone's going through this and you don't want everyone to go through it. But it was comforting to know that you're not alone. Yeah. It's like we got we got this fam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So most of us horror people love Halloween. This is my last question. Are you a Halloween fanatic? The uh, holiday itself, more so than the film. <laughs> um, yeah, I but I I find myself every time around Halloween watching a ton of Vincent Price. That he always seems to be my my October go to. But I yeah, I love uh, I love going out. Um, Allison is big on like like not only dressing up, but she can like literally build from scratch her own like bear suit, her own <laughs> costumes, her own monsters. Um, so yeah, we haven't quite got to the stage where our house is the one to visit, but I would love that to happen one day. That's the goal, right? You want to be that for, you want to be that house. That's totally, totally yeah, I'll never forget when I was. I'll never forget when I was a kid going to this one house where there was like a scarecrow on like a bench. And when I rang the doorbell, the scarecrow stood up and I mean, changed <gasps> my life. Just oh my God. My life. Yes. I yeah, like, that's it's the scary like thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I want to do that to everyone. <laughs> that's the bar. That's the bar. Um, <laughs> I love that you mentioned your your talented fiance. She is a super talented artist, um, for those who are not aware, by the way. But when you said um, bear suit, that made me think of Midsommar. And I was like, oh, there you go. Just build a bear suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Hopefully it's not the same ending. <laughs> <laughs> Might go poorly for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, how can people find you? Are you active online on social media? Uh, how can people stay in touch with what's going on with you? Yeah, so it's just Josh Mallerman and all those, you know, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And there's only one L in Mallerman, just in case somebody thought otherwise. The website used to be really boring, but it's not now. During the pandemic, I serialized the novel uh, for free. That literally, that's the only thing it is. There's no ebook um there's no hardcover or a hard copy there's literally a full it's longer than bird box there's a full novel presented in a really cool like font and colors by the webmaster 
called Carpenter's Farm that is just literally sitting. There's no reviews there, numbers of views, likes, dislikes. It's just a book sitting there waiting to be read. So joshmallerman.com has become a lot more fun than it used to be. <laughs> it's the place to be, kids. No, it really is. And that's so cool that you did that because it's, you know, as long as you have an internet connection, you can read a book. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and for free, and we were all like, you know, like I saw it as like, I'm writing this book anyway. It's not coming out next. It's not coming out next year. It's not, look, people are tight on money. Here, I'm going to write it, post it, you read it if you want. And it, and it turned into like just one of the best uh, artistic experiences of my life, actually. I loved it. Oh, that's so sweet. That that warms my heart. What a nice heartwarming note to end this, this horror interview on. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to that man for hours. Like I said, it was an absolute delight to be able to hear you talk to him. You guys just, it sounded like you had so much fun. And it's really nice to be on the outside getting to listen to something like that for the first time after, I don't know. Like the <laughs> five years of doing the show four yes. years of doing the show yeah yeah we never had to split up an interview like that so there's first time for everything i guess you don't need me anymore you oh my do them all on your would own. you stop it i i need you and the people love you <laughs> the genre junkies love you <laughs> okay so let's go ahead and talk about it so first of all the prologue Right from the get-go, what a great way to open this book. I yeah. was absolutely hooked. I thought this was a really, really fun opening, too. Um, there's something about, you know, this truck driver. Uh, personally, I've never driven truck for a living, but I know many people who have. <laughs> and um, I think we can all relate to that, like, oh, man, I just want to go home I feeling <laughs> it's so funny the way he was describing his wonderful evening that he had planned, which was sitting up with his legs up, eating a pizza, drinking a beer and watching old movies. Yeah, that sounded so great to me. That sounded like the best. And it's like best night ever. But it's like, ah, oh, he's going to make bank if he goes and does this, you know, run. So, you know, it's kind of like, OK, it's it gets weird, though, like there's really weird rules and things he has to follow. And we kind of get this little introduction to what a wacky and wild place Goblin is. Um, I loved the what well, this point, the creature in the in the in the yeah, track, the, the imagery. It was, you know. Josh is really good at describing things. Yes. But it's when he doesn't describe things yes that you know <laughs> for god's sake bird, bird box, box but <laughs> <laughs> hello but no like he describes just just enough to be like to like give you that that impression of just getting a glimpse of it and that's all you really want to see much like the gambler josh knows when to hold them knows when to fold them um no it's very true though because um sometimes it's wonderful to just have it all laid out there and other times it's wonderful for what you don't see or in this case what the author doesn't you know paint out for mm -hmm. you um a man in slices okay <laughs> The body horror entry, I guess we could say. Yeah. Um. I I found this a very compelling read. First of all, there wasn't any stories I disliked in, in this collection, but um, uh, this was fun because we've got these boys 
And there's something about the relationship about between the two of them, this kind of codependency, this kind of martyr savior complex, and then one's a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, I, I actually kind of liken this entire collection to uh, an album. Like a, a music album makes sense, and you know you have your your intro with the pl- prologue, which you yeah. you know oftentimes have with the leadoff song, and this feels like the single yeah. oh, from oh. from the album. Uh, on its own, the idea of this really you know disturbed individual yes. finding a protector who just is so codependent yeah. Um, it's and like then this meet, match made yeah. in hell. And then meeting, and then him meeting someone who is even more fucked up than he is. <laughs> How could it be? <laughs> um, th- this is the kind of thing that I, I, you know, we've read in like magazine, like pulled short stories out of magazines yes. and stuff like that. This is this is the single to to really, uh, you know, to really draw in the yeah. crowd. So for Man and Slices, we're kind of treated to. The disturbing things that Charles Ridenour <laughs> does throughout their lives together and some things seem innocent at first and then they kind of build and they get weirder and creepier. There is something I think just really, really great about the scene where Charles is hiding and everybody thinks he's drowned. That was very frightening to me. Oh, yes. Uh, and like I, I felt like I knew where it was going. Um, but like I could, I could feel the terror in the counselors. I could feel the terror in Richard. Oh my God. Yes. Like the idea that like they've lost a kid that someone's like dead. I mean, it's just who, so, I mean, it all kind of ramps and it builds up to <laughs> Charles, as, as it says here, greedily shoving parts, um, <laughs> into a small plastic bag parts of his friend because he needs to save those up so he can send as many parts to his girlfriend as possible <laughs> thank you for being a friend <laughs> you know what what's what's a good bro for you gotta be there through the hard times you gotta give him a toe or whatever and i i love too that this uh girlfriend fiance whatever she is i i love that Maybe she knows these are not actually part of his body. She doesn't care as long as he's getting her yeah. body parts, right? I, that's what I think too. Like you know, he he was justifying. You know, I'm not a liar. You know, I'm not a liar. But she never specifically said I want your toe. He, I mean, yeah. she did reference Van Gogh. Yes, which who removed his own ear, and I, I understand the reference. But she never. She said, "I get me a toe." Yeah. Not yeah. She just wants him to dismantle something for her. And I think the two of them are just a match made in heaven. They are. They're gonna just be so happy until they probably inevitably destroy one another. And you know, there's kind of a there's kind of a sweetness to it where uh you know, he takes and takes his yeah. whole life. And he's still taking in this book. Yes, he does. But it's kind of the first time that he's giving to someone and even when he's giving he's taking though yeah i i know but you know she's making him a better man 
<laughs> it's a romance. Well, you know what? This is definitely my speed of romance, generally yeah. speaking. There, there is a, there, there, it is romantic in a sense. It's just not even in a sense. It's romantic. Read it this Valentine's Day. <laughs> You're rubbing off on me that yes. I find this romantic. I love it. I, I could not be prouder. Um, so our next story is Camp K A M P about Walter Camp. Uh, this is a study in fear. <laughs> is basically a good way to put it. There's um. And Edgar Allan Poe uh, sort of energy to this. I I felt very excited during all of this, uh, all of these collections because I never knew where things were going, and um, certainly with Walter, I didn't know how this was going to play out. I didn't either, and I. <sighs> This was the, this was the point in the book when I realized that Josh really is going to lean on good people. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't built around people being bad to other people, and particularly I'm referring to his landlady. Oh yeah, I love her. She had no reason to be that supportive and understanding of this man who is destroying yeah her property, <laughs> but she cares about him so much. I think. Gobliners kind of care about gobliners. Yeah. And um and of course he's kind of this absolute authority on goblin history and he um explains it all to us, which is very helpful. It, it is definitely it this story while it stands on its own for how um unhinged he really is yeah. and how frightening because you don't know what it is he really is going to end up seeing. It serves a very strong purpose in the book to to frame everything that comes after and yeah. as well as before. Um, I think it's it's an interesting concept. I'm very fascinated with the idea of somebody basically being scared to death um, and kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy of if you're just riddled with anxiety, then of course anxious inducing things are going to happen to you because it just keeps going and going and going and i love that point when he calls his sister and he's like tell me about tell me about your ghost and she's like i just think i probably made that I made shit up. up we all made it up we just tell ghost stories come yeah. on man and he was I, I just and he like almost like he can't believe it right like it's just it's so it's so good of this character study of what fear can do to the mind. Fear is the mind killer. Uh, you know, what is, you'll think about Yoda. What does Yoda think about fear? Yoda's right. And so much horror is built around the things that go bump in the night, uh, killing people. Yeah. Basically. And this is very, this is very meaningful that really his own fear is what killed him. Um, And I really like Walter too. I have a huge amount of empathy for Walter. Um, oh yeah. And I just, I, I love hearing him talk about goblin history and I feel so bad for how scared he is, but I love how he comes alive when he talks about goblin. I love that there was a point in his life where he was like a teacher where he did all this stuff and we just learn how the fear kind of, ruined him and it's heartbreaking to hear him you know talk to his dead mother and say mom please please don't come back don't come. <laughs> i will die from fear yeah it's like oh that's so sad it's kind of funny like just go don't <laughs> don't come back um happy birthday hunter 
ding, ding, ding. This would be one of Sandra's favorites. Am I right? Yes. Where's one the of lie? Yours fav- one, of you- one of yours favorites. God, I can't speak today. This was one of my favorites. I mean, this and the next story are clearly the tent poles. And they're our favorites. <laughs> and well, um, no, no, <gasps> my favorite. I mean, I love both of them, but my favorite is neither one of these. Okay, hold on. Don't don't tell me. Okay, I won't. So, um, happy birthday, Hunter means a lot to both Scott and I. <laughs> yeah, because first of all, we're very into the land. We're very into the environment. We're very into animals. Um, we go about it slightly different ways sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I. It, in fact, I think we both like this story for different for different reasons right 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 now to be just completely transparent though scott is not a trophy hunter no that's not what we're saying absolutely not (laughs) that's not what we're saying but um he hunts fish though but he eats he makes sure that that fish gets eaten um which is really what's important but anyway we're not saying that scott is secretly like has like a zebra (laughs) (laughs) nor would i want one no but um we're both very passionate about environmental things we've talked about that a lot Mm -hmm. on the show and um there is just an absolute deliciousness to this story that it makes my face hurt from smiling because we go on such a journey we learn about tractenbroit the Scottish guy that (laughs) brought the owls saved the owls which is a beautiful story I Oh my god, I loved that the story. The imagery of the three owls just like squeezing into the cage and the fourth one just standing on top like, okay, we're ready to go now. We're going. And we're, we are going now. There was something that really stuck with me, a descriptor that you, is used twice in this story, where one thinks that the owl is a sweater thrown over like a bush. Yeah. I love that description. I can't, I don't know why. Um, the owls just sound absolutely precious. Um, I would die for the owls. I would die for the owls, wouldn't you? Uh, I, I, well, I would do anything to protect the owl. Anything? Pro- there, yeah. There's a particular scene in there that made me think about, oh, would I do anything? <laughs> and that's when he's just like, huh, that was my cat. Yeah. <laughs> just... okay whatever (laughs) that was like so great in the delivery though and the owls are like (laughs) and they're just they just sound so precious with their big glowing eyes and um so then we have hunter who just sounds like the most pompous nasty dude like just gross with his okay the meat cake, though. I oh, that was that was horrifying. That was probably the most horrifying moment of the entire book. Um, also, the, the really, meat really appreciated this kind of callback to creep show feeling. I want my cake. I want my cake. <laughs> I um, I, first of all, that party sounds wonderfully debaucherous. Oh sure, there's stuff about the party that I think is grand. And like that, he threw the party that everyone, everyone wants to throw once in their life yeah. and and you really can't <laughs> you just can't no um but there, yes hunter is a um i don't like hunter i don't like what he does i don't like the values that he holds when it comes to um animals yeah but there's something about him that i relate to you see a shadow 
of yourself in there. A little. Yeah. And, yeah, and, I it, can see that for you. And and that 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 shadow that I see is also the main hinge of the story. And that's, yes. you know, he wants to be the best. He wants to be the first. The best, the first. There's a conquest. There's a completionist. There's a... Um, a, a a concrete there's a pride. feeling there's yeah, a pride. to it where it's like I have when he but it becomes this really of course obsession oh it's it's horribly colonialist oh, you know what I mean like absolutely like there is like I want to say there's no better there's word no justification I am not celebrating the dude at all when I say uh, I, I'm not I'm not proud of the fact that I share a little bit of understanding no, no. there. But there's a lot of horror um, baddies that we see ourselves in. We see a shadow of ourselves in, and that's why they um they hold some appeal, mm-hmm. right? On that kind of Jungian level going on, because it's like, I kind of see myself in that a little bit. Um and there's something about him that appeals like he's very generous, it seems, uh, but he is a taker of lives for no reason but his own glory. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems very, very well loved. He's a man's man, ladies' man. Like everybody wants a piece of Hunter. And there's, of course, something a little bit appealing to anybody you know about that everybody literally the whole town comes to your birthday party except for the mayor (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he invited everyone from every class a societal uh section just it's it's this for everyone yeah but it's for me but it's for me because i always have the best so of course um you know, all of the beautiful, wonderful things he's killed just aren't enough because he is obsessed with Tracked and Bright. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. It sounds right to me. And the owl. And no one has ever bagged an owl. And no, no one, one has dare. seen an owl no except would, for yeah. Tracked and Bright. No one would dare. No. Because you have to go into the North Woods, first of all. And it's like they're like this. It's it's the same thing as like you're not allowed to kill like an American bald eagle. Yes, it's like you're but just, worse. Yeah, right. But it's like you just you can't because it's held in such high reverence. I was so afraid though that you know there was still only four of them and he was going to kill a quarter of the population of owls. <laughs> it made me so happy that there were dozens. There's an assload of owls out there. There's just so many owls. Like yeah. Ex- Excuse me? And the owls are so smart, too. Yeah. Reminds me of Twin Peaks. I mean, they're not, the owls. they're not like uber smart. They did no. think that he was a friend just because he was wearing the same red, red jacket. Co- but that's so sweet. It is sweet. But I mean, they're smart in the sense that they know more than they let on. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they know to stay in their woods. And they know they have some modicum of protection in there. Um, by the way, I figured out what your favorite story is, but we'll get there in a moment. So anyway... Um, my favorite thing about this story is I think it is the best example of how someone gets their comeuppance in the end. It's oh. so the hubris. It's 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 chef's kiss, more beautiful than you could possibly imagine because yeah. it, it absolutely I would have been satisfied if the owls tore him apart. I would have yes. been satisfied if he spent the rest of his life in jail. I'd be satisfied if he ended up as a meat cake. I mean, he killed his friend. Yes. But at the end of the day, the actual worst thing 
that could ever happen to him happened. Yes. And that was someone and someone he cared about had already beat him. (laughs) I mean, it just makes me cackle with glee. Oh, she thought she was giving him the best present. And then, like, it would have been for, you know, some people, but not for Hunter. I I drink your tears. Yes, I do. I love it. I love that comeuppance for him. Um, I mean, he he totally set his friend up to die. Um, he drags them out into the woods and, oh, just the whole scene of going, you know, w- with him and the friends and kind of having this relay with the rope, that was just wonderfully creepy, too. But, um, yeah. It Ooh, sets satisfying. up the, the fear of the North Woods. It sets up the, the setting, really, which becomes very important. Let's move on. Yep. To Presto. <laughs> Your other favorite. My favy, favy yeah. favorite. Um, remember, kids, we haven't talked about it in a while, but um, if you don't remember, your Auntie Sandy is obsessed with magic. Like, stage- like you don't even yeah, understand. You like, don't even understand. Actually, um, just freezes and cries tears of joy when she sees a, a sleight of hand card trick. I love magic so much. I love sleight of hand. I love large scale illusion. <laughs> I love everything about it. Um, I don't want to. I learned when I was a kid because I've always loved magic and magicians. I learned a couple of little tricks, um, but I don't want to know. I don't want to be the magician. I mm-hmm. want to be the audience. I want to be captivated. I want to be delighted and swept away. Um, I'm just like the kid in this book. <laughs> um, I cannot even tell you how much joy this story brought to me. And it, it it's it does such a good job of balancing the the wonder and excitement and joy of the little boy to set up without without even digging it in the sadness yes. and the 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 disappointment yeah. of Roman's story. First of all, Roman Emperor is a great name. And, so uh, and of good. course, for us WWE fans, I kept saying Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? That was his Christian name. Yeah. That- <laughs> um, I love the character of Roman. I love him so much. I love when the kid tells him your magic isn't dirty because no magic is dirty. And he, he has um, tears in his eyes. And there's just like, Roman is so pure. He's such that example of someone making that Faustian bargain. And he literally makes a deal with the devil (laughs) to have this achievement because in his heart of hearts, in his childlike wonder of hearts, this is his dream. And it kind of shows when it's like those those places, those dark places and levels that someone will go to and, and he becomes kind of desensitized to everything, even to to the fame and the audience after a while. He's just kind of drifting until they get to Goblin and then he kind of pops off. <laughs> but it's so tragic that he dedicates his whole childhood and his whole young adult life to learning to be the best magician that he can. Yes. Learning tricks, creating tricks, becoming this incredible magician, and then takes the easy route and 
leaves all of that behind. It's yes, and it's like, no, 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 you thought you had to make this bargain, but you didn't. You didn't have to. I mean, yes, you you didn't you did not spend your life learning how to do the patter. And so yeah, you probably did need an assistant. A Maggie who I love. Yeah. yeah. Who who is great. Who yeah. is I mean, really a, a perfect a perfect uh, assistant to him, but yeah. that's what he needed. He didn't need the the dirty magic. No, he. Yeah, I love that in his in his worldview, his devil is this promoter lady. I love that because I can see that devil coming to people in so many different guises, and that one was perfect for him. Yes. Um, so he has his ladies. He has her. He has Maggie. Um, and a a toll must be paid, and it's really satisfying when we get you know kind of the uh, the conclusion of that conversation he had with the promoter. It's not about the bodies you pull out; it's about the ones you put back. Mm-hmm. And going to Goblin, he's obviously going to kill fifty children at the end of that show. Well, he doesn't kill them; he makes them disappear. Like, see, your hands are so clean because you just make them disappear. You're not really doing it. It's not you, Roman. It's the magic. It's it's poetic. It's yeah. tragic and beautiful and horrifying. I'm obsessed. I I I knew. I mean, I knew from the second sentence that this was going to be your favorite. I didn't even need to know where it was going because it has magic. It's called Presto. Uh, and it absolutely it it absolutely met and exceeded expectations. It's on so many levels. It just screamed, Sandra. Uh, next- it's also sad because he's going to kill his biggest fan. Sorry about it. <laughs> oh, but that's what I love. Okay. A mix up at the zoo. So I have to say this, if if any of the stories missed me, it was probably this one. I understand what you what you're saying. I felt that I was not as in love with this one. Um, until it, it, it won me over in the end and then all of it fell into place for me. There, the, the, the part of it that really spoke to me was this like almost exhaustion of, you know, working, working hard at all of this, all of this stuff and at these jobs. Yes. Kind of like the guy at the beginning, the truck driver. Yeah. And has no work life balance. (laughs) And it has nothing that he's actually working for or living no. for. No. Now, I'm saying that I don't feel like I have that. Let's be honest. Talking to you all, our listeners, is my happy place and is the reason I work, you know? Same here. Um, yeah. I, I, do, I, I am not saying that I, have, I am there, but I've been there. Yeah, of course. And um, that exhaustion and that sadness and that, that feeling of being trapped is very meaningful and powerful. Um, that said, I that was kind of where my connection to him just kind of ended. Uh, this one's definitely very dark, and you go into the, the heart of darkness, as mm-hmm. it were, with this story. And, um, and you see, you know, somebody at the end of their rope, and he has those kind of nightmares that he falls into, and in the 
end when you think, oh, he's got it all together. Oh, it's just all finally measuring up. You realize (laughs) the nightmare came true and he did the most horrible thing that he'd ever dreamed of. Only it was real and he killed that beautiful gorilla because, of course, it's like this reflection of, of him of himself because he always saw her as a woman trapped in a suit. Like he sees himself trapped in this monkey suit, mm-hmm. right? You know that we're all trapped in this rat race of life, this general sense of way, and his subconscious frees her because he's trying to free himself. And um, I, I find tragically horrific things like this often very beautiful and poignant for me and um it really again it kind of gives me that sick little giggle (laughs) of like oh you can't beat the system (laughs) you know i I did not see where this was going yeah which i have to give it a lot of credit for um i guess part of the thing for me is i also um I was also a little bit confused during the reading of it because I felt at the beginning that he was going to be putting in his two weeks notice at the zoo. Yeah. And I didn't understand why that seemed like the best of the two. And then I realized, then I I realized, oh no, oh, oh, he was quitting. He was quitting the house. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and I think that might have been deliberate and kind of be part of the re the, the writing of it. But I think that's another reason why it just, um, confused me. Yeah. And also, dear listeners, we all know that um, I don't pick up some subtext, particularly in horror, yeah. like others do. Yeah, that's just it. <laughs> I don't. I don't. So, you know, me saying that is really, uh, it says more about me than it does about the story. <laughs> Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the story was, it was leading up to this kind of sad tapestry and and then it kind of all comes together so now we have scott's favorite story darn right and uh i feel i feel a fool of course it's your favorite this one and hunter just like presto and hunter are my favorite the hedges because you will like this one about first of all it's about gardening yep secondly it's about love yep and it's also about again that kind of all-consuming thing and this one i think you did get all the subtext and it didn't miss you at all (laughs) not even a little bit and and you missed you missed another very important part i mean precocious child a hundred percent she was a delight of a precocious intelligent child she was a delight she was so um, go ahead. You uh, start us off. And oh, oh god, on top of that, I mean I'm basically starting it off right now. On top of that, the whole the whole collection, there's this there's this creepiness built around the police. The goblin police. We've been building to it. Yes. And oh, they're not just like creepy. They're real creepy. They're things. They're like golems. They're like yeah. a creature, a putty creature. They're putties from from uh, the Power Rangers. They're, they're, they're Mr. Smith's basically. Yeah, you know? they're not real. Um, God, just everything about this story. Oh, and we love mazes. And we, I mean, uh, what is not for me to love? Oh, and there's a key. Story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Scott loves keys. God, Josh, you just get out of my head, man. Get out of my head, bro. Uh, and he loves his wife. 
<laughs> I love him so much. I, I from the very get go, I was sad and scared for him before I even knew his whole story because it's clear that there was a passion and a sadness there. And just even the way he's talking about, you know, he kind of always imagined it like someone would finally solve it and they would sit down and have a glass of lemonade together. Uh, and he's just such a simple man because that's what he loves is just lemonade. That's yeah. basically what yeah, lemonade what and his loves. bushes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he built this beautiful thing unknowingly as a tribute to his late wife and so it was kind of you know when somebody would solve it they're they're solving him and they're seeing his love and they're seeing his passion and then he kind of realizes <laughs> first of all he's holding the thing that might make goblins so freaking nuts <laughs> there but it's like it's like why shouldn't i keep it <laughs> know like why shouldn't why shouldn't i have this you know very bilbo baggins sort of thing why you know everything's been taken from me why shouldn't i have this treasure well and the reason why is not even is is a possessive uh smeagol like my precious it was because okay he didn't necessarily believe in it, but everyone says that if it's if if the key to the city is not in City Hall, then that's what brings the ghosts to the town. Yes, and that's okay, a, yes, that's if it exactly. there's any chance that that's true, yeah, then why this, shouldn't I have it? Why yeah. shouldn't I have a chance at getting my happiness back? Yeah, and um, you know, it kind of I, I love the scene with him and the witch. Yes. In the woods. Um, love the witch, of course. <laughs> Needless to say. That scene read as very uh, Guillermo del Toro to me. Totally did. I, I just, I, I could, I could so visualize. It, this was a very visual, this is a very visual novelette. Oh, this like, is I, absolutely. I can see it. All of these, all of these are going to be something in a couple of years. Scott tells me, what movie were we watching mm -hmm. when this happened? I'll be like, was it a movie? It was this book because that happens all the time with really vivid books. Scott Let's thinks see. they're movies. We got the maze. We've got the witch uh, in this story. We've got the meat cake. That's going to come up for sure. <laughs> we've got we've got the box in the back of the truck. Absolutely. 100% that's yeah. going to come up. Um, honestly, even... Flippers to the toe? E uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, although I feel like I've seen that before. I, um, it's been done. Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come up from this. Um, I'm so glad that you that you got so much out of this story. It's just a beautiful, wonderful story. And I love that our hero is getting out. And I love that our little girl is, you know, well, that he he got out of the maze, right? Yeah. And she is going to get out of this town because she, <laughs> she probably shouldn't be there. She's going to turn into the next Charles. And inadvertently, even with the key still not residing in uh, City Hall, it feels like they actually did a good thing. Yeah. They got rid of the goblin police. <laughs> yeah, they need to. They defunded the goblin police. <laughs> Um, so then we have the last story, the epilogue, uh, which is Welcome Home. Which is the end yeah. of the of the prologue, which basically means it means this is the seventh novelette. Yeah. The, the and, secret track. 
And in this one, the piper comes due. The indigenous <laughs> are going to kind of get their vengeance. Um, Goblin may boil over <laughs> at this point. There's, I actually want to read this from the book because I found it so poignant and so beautiful. And as the rain smacked the windshield, as the truck slowed the muddy road, Tom wondered about the people he'd see crushed tonight, killed like Dean Crawford was, the people whose stories were as dark as the violent sky, the people who, stitched together, made up this gorgeous handbag of hysteria, the people who, despite the horrors that came with it, all called the same place home, Goblin. Um. I I think that this madness will settle and Goblin will be even crazier <laughs> somehow. I think those who live, those who live. I, I see. I like to. I kind of think of it as it's going to be, uh, you know, just like everything was a night of of horror and creepiness, and it will be followed by a time of peace, mm-hmm. almost like I the the whole town almost feels like. It's it's a tidal wave. Yeah. And, you know, the waters recede and then a tidal wave hits and yeah. then the waters recede and, you know, it comes in these waves. There's, um, speaking of colonizers, there's something, of course, very beautiful and poetic about Son of Blackwater, that he was the one in that truck. Yeah. And that he's coming back after, you know, to avenge his people. Um very very cool because you know that's <laughs> that's something that indigenous folks don't really get that they don't really get that do and um i like to think of even in this dark and hellish way he he's kind of doing it for for everybody there's a couple of items throughout the stories that I want to point out as well that Wait. I am not sure of the relevance. Okay. I'm not sure of the the importance of it, but um, there's a few numbers that come up a few Ooh, times. Okay. Uh, one is 110 pounds. Uh, the box that he's carrying is listed as being 110 pounds, even though it's much heavier. Yeah. Um, there's another point in the story when um, something is referred to being 110 pounds. Huh. Uh, I believe it is the meat cake. Oh. I don't remember. Yeah, I think there's something about yeah. the cake. Uh, another thing that comes up is the price of the magic show. It's $8. Yeah. The price of the hedge is $8. <gasps> I don't know if these are accidents or if these are important, but I feel Ooh. like I feel like Josh doesn't make coincidence. Yeah. Um I wonder if it is it numerology? That's what I'm thinking. Interesting. There's something to think about here. I like that you notice that. I notice it when you say it, but I didn't notice it at the time. Very good. And it just makes me want to read it again and find more of those things because I feel like there's probably those occurrences. Because there's definitely things that are referred to, like Eula is referred to in almost every single story. Yeah, she comes up. Yeah. Um, and then and then she features like that is a teaser to what's to come. Right. Same thing with the hedges. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 But there's other things the that Sherman. that are not. <laughs> yeah. There's other things that are repeated that aren't even referencing anything noticeable yes but I, there has to be a reason that they are repeated oh. 
They must be related. Okay, well, I think we need to get out our little pieces of string and connect all of these dots because mm-hmm. I, I love it. Uh, Josh Malerman, thank you for Goblin, the gift that keeps giving. Yes. Uh, very excited to have this book in our collection. Thank you so much for going on this journey. And it was so cool to learn about how Goblin was birthed and how it went out into the world and how it's come home. And I feel very proud to be a part of that. And I hope all of you readers at home feel proud to be a part of it as well. I want to say thank you again, Josh. Thank you so much, Josh. Uh, Keep writing and we'll keep reading because we love you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. And in case you couldn't tell, I think we're going to give this... Five great owls out of five? Absolutely. Oh, careful. They look like a sweater, but they're not a sweater. (laughs) Uh, They're precious. They're adorable. Protect them, but don't leave them unattended around your cat. Thank you, everybody. Please keep reading past your bedtime. (laughs) 